Podcast number 159. My name is John, and joining me this morning is Ryan. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, and I'm thinking we should start calling this the Blockade Runner Strandcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, more on that. Um, more on that coming up as we uh, as we dive into our topic for today, which is of course uh, Mandalorian chapter 12, the siege. And uh, Ryan, before we do get into talking about that, I have to make a confession. Um, I'm somewhat disappointed in myself, but I thought, hey, maybe we'll carve out a few minutes in today's show to talk about the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special. Um, But I've only seen five minutes of it, uh, (laughs) which I um, can't. Like if I would have told myself or, you know, if if somebody would have told me last week, oh, yeah, you know, by the time um, Saturday morning rolls around next week, you know or five days after that Lego holiday special comes out, you haven't watched it yet. I'd be like, there's just no way, like there's no possible way. But um, yeah, I haven't watched it. My family totally hosed me on Tuesday night. I was all excited. I think I had mentioned possibly on the show that I was getting Chipotle that night. And Mm. I did, which I was really, yeah, I was really, you know, pretty worked up about. And uh, (laughs) so we got Chipotle that night and I was like so pumped to watch the holiday special. And, my wife and both of my kids were like, well, it's not even Christmas yet. You know what I mean? And like, and I was like, oh my God, wow. Okay, fine. Whatever you guys, I'll watch it by myself. Um, but then I never actually got around to watching it by myself. So yeah, I know you've seen it. Um, Mm Do you want to give like some, like, just like real quick light impressions of it before we jump into the Mandalorian? Um, sure. I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's a, we have a, there's a lot of holdouts, um, for Christmas around this. And, um, you know, I think there's some fundamental misunderstanding about what life day is. <laughs> life day ain't Christmas and Christmas yeah. ain't canon in Star Wars. So life day has come, came and went like the you know the longer you wait to watch this the further you get away from like the actual holiday so uh so yeah yeah, i need to tell my my wife and kids that uh you know actually you guys missed out on the whole reason for the season yeah yeah there's there's no santa there's no jesus there's just wookies and porgs and stuff like this is this is a life day special life days pass i hope you all had a good one but uh, you know, if you're if you're holding out for Christmas, you are uh, you know missing the true meaning of Life Day. Gotcha. Okay. So does that pretty much do it for your impressions of the show, or what? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's 45 minutes. It's exactly what you'd expect if you've seen the trailer. Um, mm. It's it's fun. It's <laughs> it's exactly what you'd expect. So okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's free. It's like a 45 minute thing that's like we're already subscribed to disney plus like mm-hmm. it's probably not something like if it was like hey you need to you know this is a blu-ray release or something and it's like 20 bucks or something i i don't know i don't know if i'd even have grabbed it or watched it but it's like 40 45 minutes free on disney plus there's some there's some predictable and played out stuff in it there's some uh, pr- pretty clever stuff in it. Um, 
but yeah, it's you really have nothing to lose by watching it. I was going to say that, um, you know, Disney are not um, as good of uh, capitalists, you know, as I'd expect them to be because, like, I'm actually disappointed that I can't give them money for, um, you know, buying, like, Blu-rays of The Mandalorian and buying Blu-rays of, like, this holiday special and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. But then I remembered that the uh, the kind of some of the other news this week is that um, Disney is uh, um, trying to use some, like... Uh, weird uh theoretical made up law to um uh refuse to pay alan dean foster for um royalties on the books he wrote for lucasfilm before they bought it um Mm -hmm. so no they're pretty good at capitalism i guess um but uh yeah that was that was the other thing i did i didn't put it in the show notes but i was thinking uh you know we just uh mention on the show here is that um it seems like some pretty pretty shady business going on um with uh with disney publishing or whoever it would be over there that uh that is trying to run the scheme but uh, but apparently they they think uh you know well hey you wrote those books before we bought it so you know even though we own the books now and still sell the books we don't have to give you royalties for those books because you know that was like not our thing um which is asinine logic and i think you know totally illegal and ridiculous so um hopefully uh, there's enough pressure being put on them that they'll um that they'll uh you know make it right and and start paying him his royalties and you know any other authors that they might be trying to pull similar you know scams on or whatever so yeah and i mean i think that case in particular is one to be watching um you sent me a great twitter thread by um uh who was that uh, uh i don't remember now cory cory doctorow Oh, okay. I think, yeah, yeah. Um, kind of going through like how, um, you know, he's like a well-published author um, and, you know, has been in the publishing industry as an author for many, many years. And the way he like broke it down, it's like, yep, they are like, this is not, <laughs> well, it's like morally wrong, but it's also probably legally wrong. Um, so, yeah, I think... Um, We'll we'll see. I'm I'm curious to hear more from like other like Legends era Star Wars authors um, who may end up chiming in on this because um, uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's pretty nasty business. Yeah, yeah, it's really weird because uh, it's it seems like they. I guess he didn't really directly address it, but it seems like they are paying him royalties for like the force awakens novelization and things mm-hmm. like that. He didn't bring that up. You know what I mean? So it, it really right. does seem like they think that if you wrote the book before we owned the company somehow, you know, like we don't, we don't, you know, have the responsibility to pay royalties on that stuff. It's like, okay, well then I guess you don't deserve to get the, uh, the, uh, income from those things either. You know what I mean? The revenue <laughs> from that stuff, right. Which yeah, I'm sure they, should... they would not uh, look at it that way. So. Yeah. You should probably just take them out of print then. Um, yeah. Uh, take them off Kindle and everything. Um, if yeah. <laughs> right. And I, I think what they should do to try to make it right is of course, um, you know, pay back all those, those missed, uh, royalties. And then also perhaps do some kind of deal with Alan Dean Foster for his, um, episode nine uh treatment or script or whatever you know what i mean publish that thing and uh that would be fascinating that would be cool yeah i would uh, just making like a a a joke in poor taste do you remember that did you read it or you know read his uh 
his synopsis of his story for episode nine? No, I assumed he would have been was was it like him adapting the um Colin Trevorrow or Oh no 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 it was like he saw The Last Jedi, hated The Last Jedi so much that he was like, you know what, I'm gonna just write my own sort of um synopsis for what i think episode nine should be and then you just like put oh. it up on his website oh okay and, and it is wild it is wild so um that was yeah i shouldn't okay. joke about his awful episode nine treatment though because like i you know i do uh absolutely you know support his uh his fight against disney here i think um he's he's being treated really un- unfairly you know what i mean so and uh, i think he's cool too i think alan dean foster is really cool he was uh i, I loved listening to him on um force center and he was like super or not force center first uh force material and uh he was um super cool on that interview and uh yeah it seems like a great guy and yeah so anyway um they need to pay up <laughs> yeah for sure but also his episode nine thing was pretty bad um oh, well, so. there's there's a lot of bad episode nine <laughs> scripts in existence yeah 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 <laughs> that's hey wait what um <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, um, on that note, Ryan, why don't we jump into episode chapter 12, The Siege of the Mandalorian, which um, I watched yesterday morning. I watched again last night, so I've seen it twice. um, And uh, you watched it in the morning yesterday as well, right? Yep. And then I'll, um, I still, I'll, I'll probably watch the Star Wars Explained for it, um, which I haven't gotten to yet. And then I'll watch the episode again with Lindsay um, whenever whenever she feels like watching it. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Um, not that it even matters, but did you guys watch like Chapter 11 sometime during the week? Or are you going to watch like a, a a bundle of a few episodes? Yeah, um, we watched... Um, oh, uh, I hate these... Um, <laughs> like these dueling numbers um because we have like the chapter numbers and then like the season numbers yeah we watched episodes two and three of the um season two with (laughs) so what is that 10 and 11 yeah yeah Yeah. we watched we watched those like um middle of the week um so she's like she's just like an episode behind but yeah, no, that's cool. Uh, I just asked because like it sounds kind of fun, almost. You know what I mean? Like if uh, if um, you have an excuse to watch like two or three together, you know what I mean? Even if like the, of episodes you've already seen, but you know it's like, oh, okay, well we're gonna sit down and watch a couple episodes of The Mandalorian like back to back. I think that'd be fun. I have not done that at all this season, so. Oh yeah, maybe maybe when it's like towards the end of the season, doing like a rewatch kind of thing. Yeah, maybe maybe. Um, yeah, we'll see. So, okay, well, um, yeah, let's just, let's get into it. This one, um, I actually forgot to look and see who wrote this one. Is it uh, John Favreau again? Uh, yeah. Um, John Favreau wrote it, and it's directed, of course, by Carl Weathers, mm-hmm. um, who rules and was awesome in this episode, as we'll talk about <laughs> as we as we get into it. Um, yeah. But uh, I guess, yeah, we usually start here with the overall impression, just like sort of our our thoughts and take on the episode and that kind of thing so um where do you land on this one ryan how did you uh how did you feel about chapter 12 um overall i liked it a lot um definitely um a great episode of the show um there's some uh (laughs) 
I, I don't know. It's it's weird though, because like it's it is like one of the tropiest Mandalorian episodes we've had. Like every like every box is checked um, for you know for like kind of a lot of the stuff of that we kind of like rib the show for mm. um, with like okay it's like it's definitely a side quest like I'll help you with this thing but you got to do this thing for me. Um, It's definitely one of those, um, which every episode of this season has been. Um, And, but then there's also like, it is another (laughs) infiltration mission with a lot of like Mando and other people running down corridors. Mm -hmm. Um, A a whole lot of that happening, um, which is just becoming like a, a funny, funny kind of trope um on in the show um but i think um it's just it i feel like it's like a super well-paced episode like stuff just like happens like and it just it just kind of goes and um it's like it's just the dialogue and stuff is super snappy um there's you know just a lot of like quick action and stuff like nothing is really like lingered on for too long that doesn't need to be lingered on um and then i think some of the you know we'll go we'll go deeper into some of the um reveals and implications from it but i think it's it's gonna also end up being like an important episode for the future of this season the future of the show and um you know potentially the future of star wars as a whole yeah 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 yeah. um yeah uh so i loved it and um it's interesting that that's how you kind of conclude your comment because it does feel like it is a you know probably an important episode and will have implications and all that kind of stuff but um i think i liked it so much because for me um as much as I did enjoy last week's episode, you know, I was kind of like, I walked out of last week's episode being a little bit like, what direction is this show going into? And like, what kind of show is it going to be? And, uh, this episode was like, so such a like back to basics, like, Hey, remember the Mandalorian? Like, you know, kind of like what that show is like as a, as a sort of simple, straightforward concept or whatever, season one, you know, whatever you want to say. And it's like, I feel like this episode is really back to basics, kind of Mandalorian distilled down to its sort of purest form um, kind of thing. You know what I mean? So, and, and, and like within that, they still found opportunities to expand the universe and the galaxy and the lore and connect it to other things and all that kind of stuff. But like, for me, I really enjoyed it because at its heart, it's uh, in my opinion, anyway, it's just sort of a really kind of straightforward and simple kind of, um, you know, simple in a good way, but, uh, but, uh, sort of basic episode of the Mandalorian. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people maybe would be like, well, well that doesn't make it great. That makes it, you know, kind of average or whatever. And, um, you know, that that's true, I guess, from a certain point of view, but, to, but to me, I just, uh, it was comforting to have like another episode like this where it's like, Hey, the show doesn't always, it's not always going to be like from here on out, a giant ensemble with, you know, characters from every different corner of the universe and stuff like that and uh you know i'm happy to have that stuff like i said i did enjoy last week's episode a ton but um so i'm happy to have that stuff but uh but uh also comforted by a kind of like more straightforward episode this week and then also the other thing i loved um and and the thing you know i feel like i 
talked about this a lot this this uh, season in terms of our our response episodes. But um, I really love when the show is about the child and the Mandalorian, and um, so many good child moments in this episode. And uh, you know, I was happy to see uh, a real emphasis on that because he was so cute in this episode, and there was so much good um, child content. So that's another reason that I really love this one. Yeah, definitely. I I wonder about like you said straightforward and that's just I don't feel that way about this episode. Like I I don't think you could watch this episode in isolation and like understand it or get much out of it. Like hmm. so I I don't really think of it as like a pure episode cuz there's like there's so much baggage and so much um, you know, implications um, in it. I think it it may feel st- straightforward or m- more, you know, capturing the essence of the show more um, because we have the context of watching all the other episodes. But like, I feel like everything in this episode is a reference to something that's happened before, and it's it's not a reference. Well, yes, it, I mean, eventually it is, but it's a lot of references to things that happened with, like, the new characters and settings of the Mandalorian. So it's yeah. not, like, always reaching out as far in the galaxy, but I still think, like, it. Y- y- this one, like, actually takes uh, some, like, real, I don't know, I feel like it takes, like, a lot of... Um, understanding of like where it's happening in the timeline and um, you know an, an, a knowledge of the films and um, and also everything that's happened in the show so far uh, yeah okay well yeah I mean I can see that for sure um, it definitely does you know expect you to have seen the previous episodes of the show and all that kind of stuff for sure um, but I think like the plot is just so it's like, you know, ship ship uh need repair. Um, go help friends while ship's being repaired, you know, and then mm-hmm. blow up this Imperial base and like, you know, oh cool chase sequence and then, you know, fly away. I mean the the final five minutes, I guess, or whatever, um, or maybe even a little more than that, like the conversation with um uh I forget his uh the X Wing pilot's name right now, but uh and Cara Dune and then the you know, the thing with the, the doctor and the, and Moff Gideon and all that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, okay. So that's a little more complicated and I guess is a little more lore based or whatever. Um, but as you said, like, it's all really just within this Mandalorian universe still too. So it's like, to me, pretty straightforward. And, uh, you know, like we, I mean, we were talking last week on last week's episode about like, okay, which episodes of other shows do I need to go watch? And like, you know, mm-hmm. which Wikipedia pages do I need to go find so I can remember like what happened, you know, in the siege of Mandalore or whatever it is. And it's like, you don't need any of that stuff for this episode. You know what I mean? Um, well, and, and again, like, yeah, I don't, we I don't say think that. that's bad that, that they are bringing that stuff in. I'm just saying that like, you know, this one, it felt like it could have been an episode from season one to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know, though, because it's still, like, all that stuff on Navarro, like, you have Cara Dune, like, in the, you know, abandoned Mandalorian place where, mm. like, that's, like, falling apart and people are scavenging. You've seen, like, the conversion of the town to, like, now has a school and all this stuff and, like, the, um, the, oh, the blue dudes, the character, 
mithril oh the mithril mm-hmm. mithril yeah um like he's got like a whole new story and stuff like it i th- yeah like it's i don't know like it it doesn't ask you to watch anything else besides the mandalorian though is what i'm saying besides like, none of that has anything to yeah besides the mandalorian like that's yeah. i mean yeah you have to have watched the mandalorian but you don't have to have like watched anything else i mean and, until we get to the end of the episode but yeah i guess until the um end. uh yeah but like when i think of like i guess i when i think of like a like pure like standalone star wars story i think of something in like the star wars adventure comics where it's just like oh, this is just Ray on an adventure. Mm-hmm. And, like, you don't have to, like, really know, like, anything about the place or, um, you know, the other characters and stuff. It's like, oh, this is Ray and BB-8, like, on an adventure. Um, right, right, right. And so, like, this, I think this, yeah, this felt like, you know, more condensed into the Mandalorian universe. But yeah. I, w- I wouldn't say it's a simple episode. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I guess I just mean like it's most the most basic elements at the core of what the show is are like, you know, kind of back on display in this episode to me, I guess. But uh, but yeah, I, yeah, you're right. It's not uh, it's not overly simple um, for sure. So, okay, well, let's uh, let's let's get into like beat by beat um mm-hmm. the episode i love the opening <laughs> i really love the opening with the wires and uh like baby yoda he's got well okay this little corridor that uh has this wiring in it is uh pretty small so let me send the child in there and he's got the blue wire and the red wire and it's like him trying to explain to the child which i don't actually know how much basic the child understands but i guess it mm-hmm. seems like he does understand some huh based on that uh based on that moment but i thought pedro pascal was like hilarious in that mm-hmm. uh in that scene and uh the child was uh, impossibly adorable and um man i I love that as an opening to the episode yeah for sure i compared it in our text chain um to my experience uh teaching kindergarten remotely over yeah. zoom um the the feelings of like trying to give directions from a distance to um a child who does not fully understand um the directions uh yeah it's it it's very much that experience yeah Yeah. but a super super fun super endearing opening scene yeah. Yeah. And, and still in that scene before, before it ends, um, you know, after the child gets sort of zapped there, um, a little bit, uh, they're, they're sitting there drinking their, their soup or whatever. And I thought, um, that moment was, uh, really well sort of shot and directed too, because, uh, there's like the moment where Jin or Din, I guess, uh, pulls his helmet up a little bit, you know, he's not going to take his helmet mm-hmm. off even in front of the child. Um, which first off I thought like after last week's episode, that was a great, kind of just little moment you know what i mean um you didn't they didn't need to say anything but it's just kind of reinforces his belief system and reminds you that he's got this thing he's dealing with like helmet on or helmet off and all that you know um and for him to be alone in the razor crest with only the child you know what i mean basically his child at this point um and still not take the helmet off i thought was pretty pretty um interesting and, and definitely like a a moment that they intentionally, you know, kind of led with. Uh, so I thought that was great. And then also just the symmetry, there was like a shot, um, 
of uh of the two of them the child and and uh and the Mandalorian, um, Jen or Din sitting there. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Is it Din or Jen? It must be Din, right? Um, yeah. But Din and, and the child sitting there and like, you know, just totally symmetrical and uh, each, you know, holding their little bowl of soup or cup of soup the same way and broth or whatever. Like, yeah, um, it was it was awesome. So I, I love that. Yeah. And I love like how it seemed like the child was like kind of peeking, like wanting to see um under oh yeah mando's mask like and he kept like kind of just like looking up and like looking to see as he was drinking um i thought that was that was really cool and interesting oh yeah 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 it's uh yeah i mean it's it's a moment that i think um you know, I mean, I think many directors, you know, would have emphasized it the way they did. And it's not like it's like super, you know, um, unique or creative or whatever. But I I do think like it was just really, really well done in terms of communicating yeah, those ideas. You know, the idea that the child is interested in him and, you know, what he what what's under that helmet and, you know, that he's a little unsure of like, why doesn't this guy take his helmet off? And, you know the the kind of inquisitive nature of the child and then also the the sort of private um or i guess still uh uh what's the word i'm looking for he's uh still um guarded you know what i mean um the mandalorian so um it was it was shot in a way that uh totally um sort of non-verbally communicated exactly those things you know what i mean so it was uh, really well put together yeah definitely yeah um, so from there, they go back to Navarro, um, which again, you know, he's like, well, would you like to go back to Navarro or whatever? What do you think about that? You know, and, and because the child is so damn cute, he's just, you know, like, <laughs> makes a noise or whatever. And it's like, oh my God, I love him. I love it. So but anyway, yeah, they, uh, they land on Navarro and, you know, um, Grief Karga and Cara Dune are there to, uh, greet them and, uh, you know, Grief puts his, men his uh his crew on fixing the razor crest for the mando um i think it was pretty clear from the first moment there that um that That uh, dude was shady yes that the dude was shady yes (laughs) yeah i don't know i think you know obviously they wanted to to hint at that to communicate that but i was like from from moment one i was like okay this is not gonna be good um and the yep. little dude, I was like, is he, what, I recognize him. Who is this guy? Is he like, I was like, is he like a Guavian death gang guy or something? Which of course he's not. Um, but I knew I recognized him from, you know, the other movie or another movie or, or, you know, Star Wars show or whatever. And, um, yeah, he's Mimbanese is what he is. So, um, so, solo, right? Solo. Yeah. 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 And, uh, like once I, I saw that on Wikipedia or whatever, I was like, oh, of course. Yeah. You know, like obviously, but um, I guess there's just so many aliens and um, I'm, I'm not uh, the best with, uh, you know, those little details or whatever. So I knew I knew him, but I didn't know where I knew him, but now I know where I know him and it's uh, from <laughs> Solo. He's a uh, Mimbanese. So yeah, uh, almost a little, uh, hey, uh, a, a stretched kind of uh, connection to Alan Dean Foster there. In fact, maybe they should give him some uh royalties because Mimban uh first shows up in Splinter of the Mind's Eye, the book that Alan Dean Foster wrote. So okay. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yep. Um but anyway, so yeah. So from there, oh my God, it just gets better from there because they go into well first they go to Navarro and they go back to how would we describe that place that the armorer 
uh, I don't know, the armorer's headquarters or whatever, right? Like her little, how, how would you describe that? I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's part of the, you know, the Mandalorian's living quarters where they yeah. were um, before, uh, before being kind of, you know, forced out of that space. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, that's just where they used to live and where mm-hmm. she used to work. Yeah. I guess what's notable about it is that she's definitely not there. Right. So, um, yeah. you know, kind of uh, notable by her absence, which we probably wouldn't have expected her to be there. Um, what happened with her at the end of season one, actually? At the end of season one, she, she was, house, right? she was still there. And then um, she was like, she was melting down the, the best car of all the Mandalorians who were killed and then she has that like awesome action sequence. Right. She gets attacked she, by a bunch of stormtroopers, right? Yeah, and she just like wastes them all with like a wrench. Uh, and it's like so brutal. Right. But um, we're not like worried for her like she's fine, right? After that attack by the yeah. stormtroopers. Yeah. But I'm I'm wondering, and I think we talked about this um last week with the episode and like, you know, the the kind of conflicting views around Mandalorian culture. Um, where, you know, um, Mando was, you know, basically accused of being in a cult, um, with, you know, the, the former, um, Mandos that he was, um, hanging out with. And I mean, the armor was kind of the leader of that group. So I think, I think they showed us that that place in particular for a reason. Um, I think they showed us that the armor was still alive at the end of season one and was super, you know, super strong and capable in fighting. Um, I think they showed us that for a reason. I think they showed us that she's not in that space anymore for a reason. Um, I absolutely think that character is going to come back into the show, mm-hmm. um, possibly as an antagonist. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, it depends on uh, kind of which way the Mandalorian goes with uh, Bo-Katan and her crew, right? And um, mm-hmm. and and how he, where he ultimately lands on on this information that, like, you know, not all Mandalorians do this weird cult stuff that you do, you know. So um, if he uh, if he decides that uh, you know he's been lied to, or that it was dishonest, or you know that he that this isn't the way, then um, you know either he might be angry with uh, the armor or the armor might, you know, I guess more likely the armor would view him as a traitor or something like that. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, although, you know, I don't know, like um, just real quick on that topic. Uh, and I know we talked about it a little bit um, last week too, but the armor to me still, uh, I don't know, like I, I still am pretty um, team armor or still kind of trust her or whatever, because mm-hmm. You know, like she's the one who tells him, like, "Look, man, you're a clan of two, and you, what you need to do is, you know, do what's right for this child and all that stuff." You know what I mean? So it's like, even though, okay, well, Bo-Katan and these other Mandalorians are, you know, all all about getting the dark saber back, and they're all about, you know, retaking Mandalore and all that stuff. Like, um, and they and they don't share the same sort of values necessarily, well, or same kind of rituals, I guess, as. Uh, as um the children of the watch or whatever they're called 
I, I don't see like really anything. I, I don't know. Like um, there's nothing about the, the armor's kind of behavior or, or like, I don't feel like she's steered Din astray or anything like that. Like so far anyway, you know what I mean? So, um, um yeah, but, unless he breaks the, you know, the, the rules of yeah. the group, I think like, yeah, I mean, she's been super supportive and, um, everything to him so far, but like what happens if he, you know, strays from the path? Yeah, right. Of, right, right, of right, right. their belief systems, like, does you know, does does she care more about him and the child, or about you know their kind of dogma? Yeah, yeah. It'll. That, I mean, that's interesting. But like, it, it's it, yeah, it will be interesting. And I could, I can almost see it being like one of those things where they have a battle, but then ultimately are you know on the same side again kind of thing too because mm-hmm. it's just like w- what we've seen of the mandalorian so far is that they like pretty much sacrificed their lot like a lot of them sacrificed their lives to save the child in the mandalorian you know that they rescued mm-hmm. the mandalorian when he was a child and, and about to be you know killed by a super battle droid and then that the armor put him on this mission to do like the right thing you know what i mean uh i know that everybody well i know that like we like Bo-Katan and we like like all that stuff and and you know that Bo-Katan has a, a an arc that she's gone on and she's kind of changed her point of view on things and all that kind of stuff too but like honestly in terms of like which group of characters I feel <laughs> that uh, you know uh, the evidence supports them almost being the ones that I would trust before you know Bo-Katan and whoever like I, I felt like she was a little shady for part of last week's episode i mean in the end she was like okay you do what you need to do but before that it was like uh no i'm gonna manipulate you into helping me and then i'll change the rules halfway through the mission and you know whatever else and you know i think like there is a uh you we can call like the the children of the watch a cult and whatever because they have their weird rituals and rules and all that stuff but um you know her motivation is i'm not saying it's wrong but you know it's like I don't think it's beyond reproach or questioning either. You know what I mean? Like this whole, like I need to get this thing and then I need to be the leader of Mandalore and all that stuff. Like, I just think like there's the possibility could go a lot of different ways in terms of, uh, you know, kind of which, which path is the right one to follow. Cause I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't assume that like, yeah. Bo-Katan's path is the best path for Din or that like the ultimate thing should be that he should drop the way that he's lived by and, and assume their way, you know? Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that's the goal of it um, at all either. I think it's um, just, I think it's important to um, show the different um, perspectives. I mean, I think like just kind of on the meta level, I think it's important to have, you know, that, that kind of Bo-Katan sequence, um, you know, kind of talking about the children of the watch like i think that's just important for people to see so that people you know who watch the clone wars and stuff are are like wait that's wait why are mandalorians like this now in this live action show um you know it's not it's not contradicting what came before it's like a different uh different point of view um, and just like a side note, I watched all of the Clone Wars and Rebels episodes related to um, Bo-Katan and the Darksaber and Mandalore and stuff last mm-hmm. week. Um, 
and I I I feel like I feel like the pieces do fit um with the way um the way everything is working in the Mandalorian with the one exception that uh she should be way older. Oh yeah. <laughs> like it's ridiculous cuz I I mean like Katie Sackoff is like a 40-year-old woman and she looks like a 40-year-old woman. Um yep. Actually, she looks like a like a thirty year old woman um, in the in the show, and it's like she should probably be older than that because like she's fighting and stuff in the Clone Wars. Like she's not like a child. Then she's like in her twenties in the Clone Wars, and this would be a good twenty five years after that, probably at least, right? Yeah, thirty maybe. Um, well, yeah, actually, 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 after the clone, well, I don't know where yeah. that falls in the clone, but <laughs> well, so A New Hope is 19 years after Revenge of the Sith, and then this is like five or six years after that, so, but uh, I guess Revenge of the Sith is a couple years after Attack of the Clones, but yeah, I mean, 25 to 30 years, I guess, right? Something like that. Yeah. So she should be probably like 50 something, I guess. Yeah. Which, you yeah. know, I mean, hey, you know, eh, I don't know, she could. Yeah, whatever. I guess it's <laughs> you're within about a ten year range there, so it's not too crazy. Like at first, you said that, and I was like, "Yeah, she should look like uh, Alec Guinness in A New Hope or something." You know what I mean? But like, she wouldn't be quite that old, right? I guess. <laughs> I mean, I do, I do think it would be amazing if she took her helmet off and she did look like Alan Guinness in A New Hope, just like inexplicitly. It's I just mean, like Obi Wan. <laughs> <laughs> they like, do like the, they replaced this, her face with Alec Guinness, like uh, yeah, like Tarkin like in Rogue One. Yeah, no, sure. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I think I just brought up the whole the cult thing because like I, I feel like in myself included in this too, you know, like last week I watched that episode and it was like, oh, God, yeah, it is weird that they don't take their helmets off. And why are they in this weird cult? And boy, they're weird. And like, you know, good thing these other characters showed up and are going to show him that his weird cult and their weird rituals are wrong, you know. And then I thought about it more, I guess, or, you know, just thinking about it now. It's like, yeah, I mean, they might have some rituals and in, in some sort of uh, like values and systems that seem odd or whatever. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, I don't want to live my life with a helmet on. But I, at the same time, like if that's like part of their their way and their belief system and their rituals and stuff, like it's not necessarily wrong. Like, you know what I mean? So um, and I just think like to me, I was like, that was my, you know, just speaking for myself, that was my reaction. It's like they showed up, they took their helmets off and told him like, you know, it's just you weirdos that do that. And I was like, yeah, weirdos. You know what I mean? That's like how I thought about it. And like now it's like, well, no, actually that it's totally fine if that's what they want to do. And, you know, maybe maybe like when this is all said and done, I'll feel more like those are the the cult. What we what like my gut reaction was to call them a cult or whatever. She calls them a cult, you know, the cult mm-hmm. might not actually be, you know, it, it, it remains to be seen, I suppose, if the leadership of the Children of the Watch are like cult leaders who manipulate their followers and, mm-hmm. and you know, and and restrict them with uh, with these these systems that are you know meant to be valuable but are actually just methods of of manipulation. Um, it could be that, or it could be more like just a cultural thing that you know outsiders don't understand, but doesn't necessarily make it wrong. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, so it'll, it's just really interesting. I just think it's interesting to see like which way it's going to go and how it'll all shake out. 
Yeah, and I feel like we don't like really when talking about Mandalorian, um, we we don't really like kind of go into the themes and such in the same way that we do with like the the films. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I do think there is a lot of interesting stuff around um, both cults and culture um, in the show because mm-hmm. I think. Um, you know, the stuff we've seen with the kind of humanization of the Tuscan Raiders, um, you know, last season and then obviously in the first episode of um, season two um, has been excellent. Um, and I think, you know, I, I I think that's kind of where, um, you know, John Favreau and Dave Filoni, that's, you know, a message they are being explicit about. Um, in the show, like, you know, just because we don't understand people doesn't mean they're necessarily bad um, or evil. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't think like, you know, so that makes me think, you know, to give the benefit of the doubt, um, you know, in the writing that like, it's it's not going to be like a like a simple like, oh, yeah, the armor and um that group are evil um, or whatever, because they have these like sketchy traditions or whatever. Um, I, I really truly believe that they're like actually trying something like kind of hard, um, which is to show, um, you know, the different, uh, different parts of one particular culture, like to really kind of, you know, expand that and show. And, you know, I, I think this, this carries on from the Clone Wars um, and like rewatching those episodes again last week. Like they really do a great job of, um, you know, uh, just showing the different um, kind of points of view that different groups have for, you know, the future of Mandalore. And I think it's, you know, I, I think this is something we see in a lot of cultures, like, um, you know, it's Star Wars is always like a reflection of ourselves. And, you know, it's like, are you going to like have progressive policies and like try to, um, you know, move the culture forward, make it sustainable or, you know, or are you or do you want to kind of go back to the way things were? Um, and for like the Mandalorians, it was like they were, you know, a, a people of war. And then you have like Duchess Satine and, um, you know, coming in and trying like a pacifist approach. And that all gets kind of like undermined. Um, and yeah, and I think that stuff is super interesting. And I'm glad they're kind of carrying it through and like, a, a different way um in this show but like keeping that thematic theme line even the through or that thematic through through line even though it's changing what um the discussion is um but then on like the other hand i think you have like moff gideon and his you know remnants of the empire and like to me like that feels like a cult um, the way that he's, you know, kind of, um, you know, m- manipulating 
people into this like belief system that like you know without without the empire there's no order there's no law and order like the galaxy is just chaotic and like Werner Herzog mentions that as well um you know in his episodes and um and you know like the empire is like the true leaders of the galaxy and um you know we need to be ready to die for the empire um that sort of thing like that that feels like a cult to me and that feels like in and a true antagonist so i just i just love that they're kind of like playing in these sort of uh spaces and kind of making us like talk and think about it Mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely i uh it's really well said and um it uh is a an angle of uh some of the the larger framework i guess that uh is is pretty interesting to me and um you know will uh will probably you know make it it uh sit better with me like bringing in all this other you know kind of other stuff from other you know parts of the universe and uh other shows and things like that you know um and uh so yeah yeah that's uh it's well said um you know here's the other thing ryan about this um this moment uh when when they go back to this scene this is where uh cara dune i mean she was in the the previous scene but this is like she gets like a spotlight moment or whatever Mm -hmm. um and uh you know so that's a you know you're talking about things being metatextual or sort of the things outside (laughs) of the show and uh it's a little bit of a tricky um a tricky thing because um you know the uh the actor uh gina carano has been uh making troubling comments and, and behaving in a, in a, in a, uh, troubling and frustrating way for the last few months, I guess, at least, which yeah. I, I think we've talked about on the show a little bit before. I don't know for sure if we have or not, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, essentially she has, um, I don't know. Well, I mean, she's made like sort of anti-trans or, or, uh, at least antagonistic, uh, comments and, and, you know, actions and stuff towards the transgender community, and, uh, you know, also <laughs> lately she's been wading into the waters of like right wing conspiracy theories and, uh, made a parlor account and, um, really just revealed herself, I think, um, to be not, uh, an awesome person, you know? Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I think what's real weird about that is um, I was kind of critical of her performance and stuff at times last season. Like I didn't think she was bad, but I thought, you know, eh, she's, you know, she's, she's great with the action stuff and she's got a great look and everything, but like, you know, the acting chops are not quite there. Um, And uh, you know, I still not going to argue that she's like the best actor on the show or anything, but like, I really feel like this episode is her best episode so far in terms of performance and you know mm-hmm. there was like no moments where i thought oh yeah she doesn't really belong or she's not like doing a great job um so it sucks that her best moment on the show is kind of paired with her uh worst moments and behavior um outside of the as show a, as a human being yeah i mean yeah. that was really my thought as i was watching it yesterday yeah. i was like damn it would have been great if you would have come in and kind of sucked this season um because you suck outside of the show um <laughs> Yep. But I, I actually thought it was like she was written the best. Her performance was the best. And uh, I, I thought if 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 you, you know, set aside all the stuff from from the real world, um, it was actually a great Kira Dune episode. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. And that gets to a tricky point because like I man, it like you're saying, it's so frustrating. It's so conflicting. Um, you know, I think I've. 
I've always kind of enjoyed her performances in the show, even when I know she was like taking some heat in season one um, from not just you, from quite a few people Mm -hmm. um, around her performances. Um, I, I always just kind of liked the vibe she brought, even if it was like a little, a little awkward Mm -hmm. at times um, and a little like stiff and wooden. Um, I, I still like, I, I always liked that character and seeing them on screen. Um, you know, I think it's really cool to have, um, you know, like, uh, the, you know, the cliche of a, like a strong female character, which, um, you know, Star Wars doesn't have a shortage of, um, these days, but also one with, a um, you know, a, a more unconventional body type, um, than a, a lot of the, um, you know, uh, like the Leia rage in Urso mold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, just, you know, just a different body type representation, um, is really cool to see. Um, you know, I love her character's backstory, um, and, you know, and where the show has kind of taken her, um, into her role now. Like, I mean, was this the first time she was called a marshal? Yes, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's a little bit of a motif, I guess, running through this episode or this season, yeah. huh? Because we've got the marshal in, in chapter nine. Yeah. And it, so, like, it all just tracks and, like, mm-hmm. it feels great in the context of the show. But, like, it just sucks that the the actor herself is, um, I mean, problematic is, like, kind of putting it nicely. Like, she's downright antagonistic and um you know just part of this like awful spread of like hate speech and misinformation that is like kind of tearing our culture and society apart um and she's just like you know perpetuating that on a really large scale like that's what she uses her platform for and like the like it's just it's so it's so hurtful and damaging to people and um you know our our culture in general so it's i don't know it's yeah like you were saying like it's really tough um and you know i'm kind of you know at the point just like within my own like star wars fandom where it's like yeah i'm probably not going to buy any more caradoon merch um mm-hmm. at this point like i don't really want <laughs> you know to put invest money into this character um and so like you know there is a there is a question of um you know disney doesn't do well with bad press (laughs) um Mm -hmm. in star wars um you know since uh since purchasing uh lucasfilm uh many choices they seem to make um for better or worse um are responses to um bad press um which they've gotten a lot of um and so i'm wondering if this is a character who will be you know written out of the show um going in you know season three or if they'll keep the character and replace the actress um which is like another like that's always like a weird thing but 
you know, it's weird when you're like, because it's like one of those things, like you feel like you shouldn't do, like, because it's wrong. Like it's no, this is, you know, who this is. And like, it's going to look weird when you watch season two compared to season three, if there's a new actor. And, but then like, on the other hand, like sometimes you just got to, like it also feels weird to like watch this person that I know is not like a good person. <laughs> and like, how do I cheer for them on this show when I know, you know, the, the stuff that they say and do online? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very conflicting. Cause it's like, yeah, like you said, I, I don't want to support her. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think, you know, the great thing is that in Pedro Pascal, you know, you have someone who's, um, just really on the opposite side of the spectrum and, uh, very supportive of trans people and trans rights and, you know, much more, um, I guess, open-minded and, and just a more positive presence. And, and, uh, mm-hmm. so it, it's great to have it sort of, you know, um, to have somebody like that, uh, in, in another, you know, I guess in the, in the primary kind of, uh, role in the show. Um, I think, I mean, another thing I was thinking about as I was watching the episode is like, it sort of feels like this would be, it could very easily be the only appearance of Grief Karga and, um, in, in Cara Dune this season. Um, or it, it might not, I don't know, but I, I feel like it, it, it really could be like, well, we check in on Navarro this one time this season, you know what I mean? And then that's it. And so, you know, obviously the way that the season was written last season was sort of like hey at the end um the mandalorian kind of assembles all the people that he met along the way and they help him out and you know like all comes together at the end um so it could be that kind of scenario again or it could be like one and done for for this character this season um i know they're already working on season three but i think it would be pretty easy to just not (laughs) return to kira dune um so i think to me that feels like the more likely outcome than than writing her i mean uh, replacing her as an actor um, mm-hmm. but you know, it remains to be seen what they'll do. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I hope grief Karg is back either way. Cause I love him, uh, a For lot, sure. you know? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, I mean, well, I guess we can just talk about it now. It's, it's, uh, at the end of the, uh, at the end of the episode or towards the end of the episode, but, um, uh, Paul Sun Hung Lee's character, uh, Captain Teva, 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 um, the X-Wing pilot who was with uh, Trapper Wolf um, in, in what, chapter 10? Um, he uh, shows up and is um, interviewing Grief Karga about uh, the events of the episode and um, has a great, I thought, a great moment with, um, with Cara Dune um, out there in the alleyway or whatever in, in the street on Navarro and, and talks to her about um, Alderaan and leaves... I don't like this show obviously is very Western. So I don't know if this is how you interpreted it, but like to me, it felt like a, like a sheriff's badge, like a star, you know, almost like from a Western that, uh, yeah. that item that he left for her, but you know, but sort it's of brought... like a, re- a rebel Alliance badge. Yeah. Right. Right. But like, she's the marshal of the town, you know what I mean? And it looks like a badge that you'd wear like on your chest, like a, like a sheriff's, you know, um, what do you call that star? Like the, the badge, right? Yeah. So, Anyway, I mean, the, I think obviously the point of that conversation, right, was to remind her of what has been lost and what the consequences are of not combating, you know, the empire and stuff like that. So, um, 
it's 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 like you said earlier it's a great character and the story um surrounding that character her being from alderaan and all that stuff is like mm-hmm. really great and uh, i thought that moment was great and it it definitely sets the table for some great storytelling going forward too so you know in that regard it'd be kind of a bummer not to pursue it but i think for me personally i would opt to uh leave that alone and and not return to the character you know it would i think that would be what i would what i would do or what i would suggest you know versus uh recasting um Mm -hmm. but i don't know i guess we'll see what happens but yeah i did love that moment i don't know i thought that was yeah and i think like i think kind of going back to what you were saying like we could probably just not go to navarro again yeah um i don't i don't feel like there's so many there's like so many bigger stories happening now in this show and like you know and the the end game is getting more and more clear um with each episode this season and like you know kind of the goals um and the the story being told like i don't i don't think we need to go back to navarro but like i do still like that character and i definitely like you know grief karga um and uh uh mythal the mithral the mithral yeah the mithral the mithral mithral. yeah Yeah. um and i like them and i like um you know other stuff in navarro i'm wondering if this is a time where you know maybe favreau and filoni like maybe they have that that Caradine story, like it's, you know, logical conclusion and everything. Maybe this is a time where you, you just, you just make the novel or right. the comic book yeah. or something yeah. where we can, you know, best of both worlds, we get the character and we don't have to deal with Gina Carana. Yeah. Yeah. Could be, could be. Although I don't know, it's hard to follow all these rumors. Uh, I think somebody somewhere has just decided to create a rumor about every character from the Mandalorian having its own, having their own show. But, uh, um, you know, there were rumors at some point, I think of a Bo-Katan Cara Dune kind of spinoff or something, which, uh, or maybe it's Bo-Katan Ahsoka. Maybe that's what it was. Or maybe it's Bo-Katan and Ahsoka and Cara Dune. And I don't know who knows, but there's, there's, well, there definitely was a Cara Dune spinoff rumor flying around, but uh, I can't imagine much water at this point. Uh, I can't imagine yeah. that that's happening. Please, please don't put me in that position. That Disney and Lucasfilm. That would be tough. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, because I mean, like this episode was filmed before she had really um, been involved in, in this, you know, kind of commentary and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, yeah, um, I don't begrudge them for this episode existing or, you know, her no. being in it or anything like that. But um, what they choose to do going forward, I guess, you know, um, it'll be a different story. Um, especially if they were to be like, Oh wow, you're, um, really kind of going all in on being awful online. Let's give you your own show. You know what I mean? That would be a, it would definitely be a difficult, uh, situation. Yeah. So. Rose, Roseanne in reverse. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> okay. Well, um, let's, uh, let's keep moving, I guess, uh, after addressing that situation. So, mm-hmm. Um, then we get into kind of, I mean, like we've barely, t- we've barely gotten into the episode, uh, yeah. but so much of it is just like you said, like one big, great, but one big, great action sequence. So, you know, we don't probably have to spend too much time on all of that stuff. Um, they actually, I say that, but before they go on the big action sequence, one of the best things to ever come from this show, 
um, mm-hmm. happens, which is uh, the child goes into a classroom full of children sitting at desks and is placed in a desk of his own and sits in a classroom with a protocol <laughs> droid teaching the class at the front of the room. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. Like baby Yoda goes to school is such yes. a cute like premise and scene. And it was so fun to watch. And so just adorable. I thought. Yeah, I um, love this. Um, it also reminded me of um, one of the one of the blast points episodes from Ewok Month, mm-hmm. um, where they were talking about Star Wars School and how how badly they wanted to see Star Wars School. Oh, okay. um, well, here we go. We yeah. we got Star Wars School, so and good. it's it's amazing. And, 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 and the child like really, um, you know, kind of took advantage of, of all of his, um, adorable powers or like his, his power to be adorable, I guess is what I mean. Not that, not that the powers are adorable, but his, his power to be adorable because there's that whole like kind of silent sequence with, with him and that kid, um, where he wants, yeah, I'm sorry, man, he, he wants those macaroons, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he just like coos at the at the kid until the kid's like, no, I'm not giving you my macaroons. And then he's like, well, <laughs> check this out. And uh, God, it's so good. It's so, so good. It's so adorable. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love how, like, how much time they lingered on that scene yeah. <laughs> with like, the cookies. And um, where I started to like, actually started to feel kind of tense. I'm mm-hmm. like, what if he like uses the force and everyone sees him use the force in right. this classroom? Right. Like that like that's that that's worrisome to me. But he manages to like kind of do it and get away with it, uh, you know, without without anyone really knowing what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean Again, you know, it's not probably the most complicated sequence in the world to film or whatever, but I just feel like um, that sequence and and the sequence at the beginning with the child uh, just like perfectly shot, you know, like I, I, I don't know. It just like it, it, it so effectively communicated exactly like the feeling and the exchange between these characters, you know, who aren't speaking to one another, but you just kind of completely... Um, I found the moment completely satisfying and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just done perfectly. So loved it. Agreed. Yeah. But anyway, then they get into the action sequence where they go and they, uh, they pick up the Mithral who, um, is working off his debt to Grief Karga for, um, trying to steal from him. And, uh, they, they hop into the Mithral speeder and, uh, speed out to this abandoned. Well, it's not really abandoned, is it though? But I think that's kind of how yeah. they describe it. There seem to be a lot of stormtroopers at this base that, uh, I don't know if they use the word abandoned or not, but that's like the impression I was getting when you told the Mandalorian to help him with this. It's like, yeah, yeah. we can just go out there and blow that place up. And But there were a lot of stormtroopers there, right? Well, yeah. And I mean, they initially thought of it as a military installation. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the whole purpose was like, yeah, we we need to go. This is the last holdout. Uh, you know, it's their last military base. We need to go blow it up so that there's no Empire presence here anymore. And okay. uh, so it's not that they... it was abandoned. It was just that it was like the last one. Yeah, but they I I think there was like there wasn't an expectation of a ton of troops there. 
Um, but I think there is, um, you know, but I think that's once again, um, you know, Grief Karga and everyone kind of um, underestimating the amount of Empire holdouts. Yeah. Um, you know, working under Moff Gideon in particular, because the same thing happened at the end of episode or at the end of season one where they're like, oh, yeah, Moff Gideon will have like a few troops. And then he had like a whole army. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they travel out there. I mean, the there was a shot, which to me is the is the the good kind of callback, which is like a subtle callback. But there's a shot of the speeder um, going out there that's like, you know very much a match for uh the shot of of Luke and C3PO in in the speeder tattooing um, in the new home yeah. yeah, and tattooing like I thought of I thought of that as well yeah but it's just a visual match you know what I mean it's not like a yep. whoa remember this like it's it's just you know yeah. hey if we're going to shoot a speeder like let's shoot it uh, a land speeder let's shoot it in in the same way and I thought that was good um the mithral's hilarious Horatio Sands is really funny so that was cool so good so yeah. good and then they get in there, they kill a bunch of stormtroopers, as one would expect. And uh, I don't know, um, action, well, well shot and, and well put together, uh, fun action sequence. But um, the big thing is when they get to the room with the vats of clones, right? I mean, that's the that's the uh, the interesting component of all this, I think. Um, they they end up in that room. There's some what attendants in there that are wearing the same... Um, kind of gear as Dr. Pershing from season one. Uh, mm-hmm. So we know it's associated with that. And uh, I guess we'd know anyways, because there's all these like chambers full of uh, clone bodies. Um, and they watch the recording of Dr. Pershing talking about, you know, the experiments and stuff like that. And he makes it clear. Well, a couple things are clear. He makes it clear that he doesn't want to kill the child. You know what I mean? And, and so it seems like he is, um, because they presented him in a fairly sympathetic way in season one, you know, where it was like, don't kill me. I'm not, you know, I don't want to hurt the child, whatever. Um, and it seems like from these recordings that that's true. You know what I mean? That he actually, um, even though he's harvesting the child's blood, it's he's not doing it like totally uh, callously and carelessly or whatever. Um, would you agree on that front? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I mean, he's not like a good guy or anything, but you know what I mean? Yeah. He's the... Uh, he has a conscience. Yes, yeah. He's and, working for the wrong people, but like he has a conscience, but not enough of one to make him stop doing all the stuff he's doing. Yeah, that's true. Although I would say that in this recording and really in pretty much every moment we saw him in, in season one that I can remember, he seems terrified. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't rule out the possibility of like a uh, Galen Urso type situation where it's wow. like you really don't have a choice. You know what I mean? Like if, uh, if, uh, Moff Gideon is like, listen, dude, you know about cloning, you're going to do some cloning for me. Um, I don't know how many options you have necessarily. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, there's, I think at least a slight possibility of him, you know, actually coming back into the story and being someone who could, could, uh, you know, help in some way. Um, because he doesn't seem like he really wants to be doing these things necessarily. I don't know. Um, I, could, I could see it go either way, I guess. But um, then there's the, I guess the two, the two like earth shattering things in this sequence are seeing the clones and the vats. And then also Dr. Pershing in the, in the recording talking about baby Yoda's M count. <laughs> um, and, and Kevin uh, 
Kevin put it best in our, our friend Kevin put it best in our chat yesterday when he called them cowards for not using the term midichlorian, which I agree. Yeah. Um, I think Favreau and Filoni and all these uh, in, in the Mandalorian team, they're cowards for coming up with this phony term M count just to make sure, um, you know, they don't use the M word, the midichlorian. Um, but uh, as expected, the child has a big midichlorian count. So, yeah. Um, the other thing, Ryan, is that these um, these clones and the vats, uh, they sure look a lot like Snoke. That was my my thought watching it. And then when the episode ended, I rewound and went back to a, to that shot and uh, paused it on there to, to kind of to see if they really did um, look like Snoke. And, and they certainly do. And then I went to Wikipedia this morning um, just to see like if there was any little trivia and stuff that I missed in the episode. And apparently um, clones of this type of the Snoke variety um, are referred to as strand casts, which um, I had never heard of before. I had no idea that this was a thing, um, but I guess it is. And so, I mean, I would think like this Dr. Pershing stuff and all of this is sort of like the genesis of this whole thing, this strand cast thing, like basically the the program that led to the development of Snoke, right? Is that how you would interpret it? <laughs> oh man like <laughs> this is yeah this is cloning to the next level um mm-hmm. basically uh yeah so a few things about this um first of all apparently the term strandcast was used in season one yeah see i'm seeing that on the on the wikipedia the wikipedia page too and i'm like i don't remember that at all like we well, i guess i need to go back and try to find that moment yeah. In a conversation between uh, Din and Quill? Yeah. Hmm. Yep. So I definitely need to revisit that conversation um, for sure. Um, yeah. So these are bioengineered organisms. Um, this is something we were. I mean, it. Yeah. <laughs> it's because it's. Because Ray's father in in the backstory of revenge of the sith was like one of the first strand casts is that right uh i don't know i mean i guess uh yeah i guess he well i don't know i have to think about the timeline here uh yeah i suppose so because he would have been cloned around the time of the prequels right yeah because he would have been an he must have been an adult like ray's 20 years old in the force awakens or 19 years old or whatever so um she would have been born you know 20 years before which would be around this time probably and and her dad was obviously an adult an adult so um yeah i think he must have been created or whatever around the time of uh the prequels in there somewhere so yeah so before this with these clones like these strand casts because they're not I guess they're clones, but not. Yeah, they're clones. They're, they're clones, but they're they're like lowercase c clones. They're not like capital C clones, like we refer to, um, you know, the Jango Fett clones. You know, um, I guess. I mean, they're just like a different. I mean, they weren't cloned by those damn good cloners on Camino, if that's what you yeah. mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, um, I don't think they're any more or less clones than those clones are. It's just a different, you know, 
type, I guess, right? It's a different, yeah, it's a different type of cloning. Um, but okay, but they, but they're grown, like they can be grown up though, like because or was. Oh, I see what you're saying. Because like the clones on Camino start out as you know babies, presumably. No, we see them as babies in Attack of the Clones. They start yeah. out as babies, and then they just grow at a double or they develop or whatever at a du- at a double rate so it takes them you know 10 years to be like a 20 year old instead of 20 years to be like a 20 year old whereas these clones in the vats well we don't know i mean they could have been they could have been babies in those vats and they just like develop in the vat or something or maybe they clone them like they just look like a i don't know because because ray's dad doesn't look like snoke you know what i mean <laughs> But these dudes in the tubes look like Snoke, so I really don't know how all that works. Like, what makes something a strand cast? Is it because they're cloned with, like, they're, they're, I think I would assume that what makes it a, a strand cast or whatever this term is, is that they are, they're cloned with the intention of having force powers. And that's mm. probably the difference because they're not, they're not cloning, you know, the, the clone troopers on Kamino and trying to infuse them with the force. But yeah. the, but but Sidious or the Emperor or whatever definitely would have wanted his clone to have the Force, and uh, you know clearly they're trying to put midichlorians into these clones as well. So um, I would think that's like the difference between the standard clone and these clones is that they're trying to uh, make them Force um, sensitive or whatever. Yeah, th- that makes sense. But I was also only kind of half paying attention to what you were saying because I was thinking about Baby Snoke. <laughs> yeah um well so we don't know anything about this strength is that a possibility okay. like can we can we take a second to, well first off yeah that's wild um let me, i might hop onto photoshop when we're done with this but uh <laughs> no uh, i mean like we could take a second to step outside of the story and be like look here's the legit thing is that there were clones in in sack of the clones in you know the prequels and then um they made a movie called the force awakens and they had this dude in it called snoke and then they made a movie called um the rise of skywalker which i happen to love um even though i know you don't and a lot of people don't but like either way like in that movie and and i i point that out because i'm about to drag it that's why i point out that i love it but you know (laughs) they were like hey let's figure out a way to you know do something with the Snoke character and relate it to Palpatine and whatever. And, you know, I guess my point is they didn't create Pal- uh, Snoke as a strand cast with all this like stuff in mind. This is like, how do we stitch it together after the fact? You know what I mean? Um, so all this strand cast stuff is like, whatever. It's like, Hey, uh, Favreau decided to, you know, make this show about baby Yoda and the empire wanted to clone him. And then we also have Snoke over here and we have the clones on Camino over here. And like, how do we connect it all? I think that's what we're looking at here more so than some like intricately weave together mythology about a very well thought out concept called the strand cast. You know what I mean? (laughs) Does that sound about right to you? Yeah. You know, uh, um, yeah, I mean that's kind of the the vibe I get, but I also think there is, you know, there is always that potential for like, you know, a, the you know, some art of book in 10 years from now having some like original document of like, you know, George's original something that's like mentions this or something that dude now that you say that i'm like this has george's <laughs> fingerprints all over it <laughs> this strand cast is the most george-esque like totally it could have been george yeah that's a good that's yeah. a great point 
Um, but like, I think what I will say, I mean, this stuff, like, it is what it is. Um, I don't, I still don't like, it's still not very satisfying to me, at least in how it played out in Rise of Skywalker. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't like this. I mean, I like, I kind of get like the, um, no, I don't. Uh, actually, um, I was just thinking about like the Snokes and the Vat and stuff, and like that's that's more of just like a visual thing. Like it doesn't really like help with the story or anything. Um, but like the stuff with like Ray's dad, like just that like never landed with me. Um, like the you know Sidious made Ray's dad this clone, but he made a mistake and didn't get like didn't inherit his powers which seems like a weird oversight and then so like it just happened to be like ray who inherited the powers like that i don't know that just that feels like just so messy and just weird um to me so i've never i've never really liked how that all played out um in that film um but maybe it is one of those things where like it's like it's it's one of those things and we talk about this like all the time like with you know stuff like um maul and boba fett and you know even like palpatine coming back and stuff it's like uh i wish this hadn't happened but maybe you can tell some stories to make it a little bit better Mm -hmm. um like, cause like, you know, just the way it sits in Rise of Skywalker, like, I don't like any of the, the cloning stuff in that movie. Um, but what they're doing here is they're, you know, they're connecting some things and, uh, you know, ex- explaining it more. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure like some people are like, just please stop talking about cloning. Like I never, I don't care. I don't want any more cloning in star Wars. And, you know, I get and respect that. Um, But for me, like where the story just didn't feel complete, um, like maybe giving some more context, um, you know, through, through this show will kind of fill that out a bit and then, you know, make it so that, you know, sometime when i revisit the story of um rise of skywalker i can be like oh yeah that i mean that tracks why things went the way they did yeah yeah i think uh you know for me just i'll be promise i'll be super quick on this but like for me like i i agree with you like uh you know i don't really love the way the clone stuff like shakes out in um the rise of skywalker and i think it is messy and kind of like clunky and you know like it just, yeah, I don't think that, I think few people would argue, wow, that really works super well. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah. I, I totally agree. But what I like about it is like the campiness and hokiness of it, you know? And I, I know that like a lot of people don't and that's fine. But I think like for me, it's like, you you know, I hear what you're saying where it's like, oh, hey, maybe this can fill in some blanks and make the story work better and all that stuff, you know? And that's possible and that would be cool too. But for me, even if it's just like, dude, I, there's something cool about, at least for me, I like in the Rise of Skywalker, like, you know, you go into this like evil layer with like cloning and this weird Sith magician guy, you know what I mean? It's like, you look at like, it's a wait, hold on. So like he had a son and the son is raised dad and like, all. Well, it's pretty stupid. But I like the, the kind of, 
I don't know what's the the atmosphere of it and the the yeah. hokiness of it and like the horror like sort of just light horror element of it and all of that stuff. So like even if like exploring some of this stuff in the Mandalorian and all that doesn't really make it doesn't really fill in blanks or make the implementation like make I don't know how much more sense it can make really, but like it's still like I think it's a cool thing like to play around with, you know? Um so like even that alone I think would it could be cool, you know what I mean? Just like I don't know, like, uh, the, sometimes this stuff is pretty dumb. Like, it's probably going to be kind of dumb in, in The Mandalorian, too, because, <laughs> you know, cloning and whatever. It's kind of dumb mm-hmm. in Attack of the Clones, but um, to varying degrees, I suppose. But, like, you know, cloning and that, it, it, it's really time travel in movies. You know what I mean? Most of the time you watch a movie of time travel and it's like, dude, this there's just no way it's going to, like, actually be logical and good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it can lead to great things and it can, you know what I mean? Like, the story can still be tons of fun and whatever, you know? I love the Terminator movies, but if I ever take more than like two minutes to think about how <laughs> events connect to each other, it's like, wait, that doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Um, but it's still, I don't know. It can be, it can be worth it, I guess. You know what I mean? Even with the lack of logic and all that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess hokey, corny, campy, probably kind of dumb in a lot of ways, but I'm excited. It's, I guess, one of the things in Star Wars that's kind of dumb that I like the clone stuff. Yeah. Not and, as much as you, because you're obsessed with Camino, but I, I do see, like I was it. just going to say, like, I love the stuff in Attack of the Clones. I love the, you know, the way all that's worked out, especially, you know, after watching Clone Wars and stuff. Um, I think they, you know, maybe in that film, um, and it's, you know, it's hard because, like, at this point, like, I've I've watched so much, like, Clone Wars content. I've read all these comics and books and stuff, like you know, I just accept the clones. And I know, I I mean, it wasn't that, Attack of the Clones was a, was a minute ago, but it wasn't that long ago. Like, I could still very explicitly remember um, a lot of the, um, you know, criticism that film got. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, one of the many places that film received criticism was um, all the clone stuff. And, um and now, like, yeah, and I mean, I remember being fine with it when the movie was out in theaters and everything. Um, but, like, now, I don't even, like, think about it. Like, it just is the way it is. Like, and it, you know, it it makes sense and it works. And I'm never, like, pulled out of it. Um, and I think that could happen here. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think... <laughs> Like, it's just kind of like, you know, Attack of the Clones set like a pretty, uh, I don't know, I, I don't want to say low bar, but uh, probably achievable um, <laughs> bar for how to like approach cloning in Star Wars. Uh-huh. So like, it was kind of weird to see, like, you know, JJ and company kind of like completely miss that extremely low bar of like the bare minimum of what it takes to sell people on clones in Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, but I think if they would have lingered on that story anymore in that film, it would have, I, I don't think that would have benefited the film either. But um, yeah, but I think this is, you know, this is a time to like add more context to it. And it's interesting, mm-hmm. um, you know, just from like a sci-fi perspective, like it's interesting. This is one of those areas of sci-fi that, you know doesn't always feel super star wars 
um, which is more of a science fantasy. Uh, so it gets, this gets kind of weird, but like, you know, the genie's out of the bottle. Like you introduce this stuff. Like there's no, you know, there's, there's no backseas on yeah. it. Like it's, it's happening. Cloning is part of Star Wars. Strand casts are part of Star Wars. <laughs> this, and you know, they're, go- they're going all in on it. Yeah. Like, I mean, the child is crucial to this story. So it's not even like a, oh yeah, this is something like just happening in the side that I can just kind of ignore. Like, no, this is this is now part of this story, <laughs> whether you like it or not. And I think they're planting the seeds for it to be interesting. And, you know, I think this also makes the Boba Fett stuff way more interesting to me because mm-hmm. you know these the way that they're bringing stuff in we have these like complete competing visions of like what is a mandalorian um and that's with modern content and you know some older content and those like you know creating like a dichotomy there and then we also have this you know we have the modern era of strand cast and all of all of this and like the child being, you know, kind of crucial to that story. And then we have Boba Fett, the, you know, original unaltered clone um, in, you know, in the Star Wars we've seen, like there's, there's probably been a lot of cloning in Star Wars, but of like, you know, the stuff we've seen, like, um, and I wonder if there will be, you know, an exploration of like the philosophical differences around that or just some kind of conflict like it all feels like it's like really connecting because mm-hmm. like you know boba fett is like not quite a man not not a mandalorian jango fett not a man not really a mandalorian or was he uh you know is it the armor is it um the upbringing um nature nurture like and then also boba fett being a clone but like not like these other clones i don't know that's it's it's interesting how they are connecting like these kind of like all sort of bad things <laughs> like things or i should say things that i didn't want out of star wars and i certainly didn't think i wanted out of this show but like they're i don't know the way it's starting to come together is really really interesting and like i'm i'm starting to like really kind of see what I think the vision for the show is. And it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty unique and special. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. I think, um, yeah, totally agree. Uh, not to bring it back to rise of Skywalker, but you know, like the way you were describing some of those, those things is, uh, at the end there is kind of how I feel about some of that stuff in rise of Skywalker, which is like, uh, it's not good. Uh, you know, some of the like lore and like actual, plot components are not necessarily good like the cloning stuff specifically raised dad and all that but it's like you know but i think like i get why and what they're trying to do with it and then like i can go along for that ride sort of thing but you know Mm -hmm. on the topic of the rise of skywalker well not really on the topic of the rise of skywalker but on the topic of the mandalorian and you know connections and things like that i've been you know kind of teasing you throughout the weeks here ryan about luke skywalker you know, and like how I feel like he's going to show up at some point. Right. And that's like my, mm-hmm. my thing I got to get in every episode is like my, Hey, when's Luke Skywalker going to, going to appear. 
I, I really am starting to wonder now, not starting to wonder, but like a, the thought crossed my mind here. It's like, okay, no, wait, what? Now we see Snoke clones in the vat and uh, we see that Moff Gideon and this Imperial Remnant has like, you know, um, it, it's not just about like, man, it sucks that the Empire lost and we're going to keep fighting that fight. Um, and there's some, because that's how they kind of talked about it a little bit like with season one. It's like, oh, well, you know, yeah, like the, the Rebels won and it's the era of the New Republic, but there's still some stormtroopers hanging around in the Outer Rim or whatever, you know, I got to, you know, almost like, okay, Cara Dune's the marshal, you know, we need people like that to clean up the the remnants of the stormtroopers left. Like after watching this episode, it feels like, no, 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 Moff Gideon and these remnant stormtroopers and all this stuff, it feels like it is connected to the First Order. And Fabro mm-hmm. talked last last year at some point about like yeah well you'll see kind of the beginnings of the first order and it was like eh, not really bud i feel like you're you're kind of stretching it but now it's like wait a minute like maybe this stuff is more connected than we think and i guess what i'm trying to say here ryan is that like okay well if this experiment with the child is about midichlorians and making force sensitive clones in a vat um and those clones look like snoke and moff gideon's working for somebody else etc so on and so forth like uh you know this is potentially is going to connect back to Palpatine the way that it could potentially connect back to uh, Luke Skywalker. And uh, I bet you have some thoughts <laughs> or feelings when I, when I make that comment, but uh, I don't know, it, it just really does feel more and more like it could, it, it's already connecting to the larger tapestry with stuff like Bo-Katan and Ahsoka, uh, Ahsoka and, you know, whatever else, but like, you know, more and more, it just feels like it, it could really end up slotting in to the larger mythology in a way that I didn't really anticipate initially, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like after this episode, I mean, that was one of my takeaways is that, yeah, this is uh like it or not. The Mandalorian is bigger than what we thought from mm-hmm. that, you know, that premiere episode of season one. Um, it's, it's going to be bigger, um, which is appropriate. Like, sure. This is the biggest thing in Star Wars. Like, you have more eyes on this than any other Star Wars thing outside of the movies. So, tell the big story. Like, tell the important story. Like, I I feel like they should be emboldened enough to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it was the intention or not. Like, this is a venue to tell that story. Um, You know, more you're going to have more eyes on this than you do like the aftermath trilogy or shattered empire or any of those other, um, you know, post return of the Jedi stories. Um, and you know, we were, we were talking about, and I, I pulled up a, I had to pull up a galactic map, um, to see, you know, where, um, where the, um, unknown regions are in relation to the outer rim. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, this episode kind of, uh, kind of telegraphs some things where, um, you know, there's talk about like, eh, the new Republic should stay out of the outer rim. Like we don't, we don't need them here. We don't want them here. And then, you know, grief Karga, you know, makes some, you know, when he's talking to, um the the rebel pilot he's like yeah there's nothing to worry about here nothing happening here just you know go on your way even though like there was definitely some stuff happening that the new republic probably should have known about um but 
Um, you know, I think because the New Republic was so surprised by what was happening in the unknown regions, like, I mean, starting with Force Awakens, like in Starkiller Base and everything. Um, but like, this is kind of, you know, the the Outer Rim where most of, you know, the this show is taking place is, you know, it's right on the border of the unknown regions. And so I think characters in this show are going to see things that the new Republic isn't going to see because mm. like, there's this push to like, keep the new Republic out of there. And the new Republic also barely seems to care. Like they have, they have like two, two X-wing pilots who like hang out in the outer rim. Um, it's, it seems so, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think you're exactly right. I think we are actually going to see, um, you know, some of those, uh, origins of the first order, which the first order is already happening at this point. Yeah. 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 But like, um, we're going to see some of those like early, early days of, um, the the first order the final order um sith troopers um 95 percent after watching this episode i'm at 95 percent that we're gonna see snoke mm-hmm. on this show mm-hmm. um i think uh it will be a snoke snoke toberfest to remember <laughs> um because uh we are absolutely going to see a snoke on this show um whether it's the snoke or a snoke yeah 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 i don't i don't even know if there is a the snoke like oh, maybe interesting kind of yeah I yeah that, that's interesting yeah <laughs> i'm every voice you've ever heard inside your head or whatever right like it's like yeah that whole thing is confusing but uh it doesn't necessarily need to be explained all the way but maybe the show will, will go into that a little bit but it's like yeah, how much of Snoke is Snoke and how much of Snoke is just a puppet being controlled by, you know, Palpatine or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I, I will say real quick, uh, you know, I always go back to this, like coming out of The Force Awakens, one of the best, you know, experiences I've ever had in a movie theater, just being like, oh my God, I can't believe they nailed it so well. You know what I mean? That this is so good. Um, coming out of it, like like my one disappointment was like, well, Snoke's kind of lame though. You know what I mean? Like yeah. really doesn't do much for me. And, uh, so yeah, you know, the opportunity to explore that whole thing a little more. Um, cause like he was kind of lame in the force awakens and then he was great in the last Jedi. But part of what made him great in the last Jedi is that like, whoops, uh, we killed him when you, you, you didn't expect him to be killed. You know what yep. I mean? I think he was great before that too. I think Ryan Johnson did a lot with that character and, and made it really interesting. But, um, you know, part of it was like, cut him in half that's that's like whoa didn't see it coming you know what i mean so um, i mean i think all of snoke's greatest hits happen in that that throne room scene i think that's where he has his best dialogue his best until now though because like him floating in a vat in the mandalorian is a great moment too you know what i mean (laughs) okay so i haven't gone back and watched it and like really you know skimmed those sections is it really us a snoke in those vats or is it just like a deformed dude well, I mean that's tough to say because, uh, yeah, I because I it's at super it, dark. Yeah, like how could you even tell? Well, I looked at it really closely uh, on, on on my iPad. I tried to like you know look as closely as I could. You can't screenshot stuff from the Disney Plus app on the iPad. Um, 
you know, for copyright protection reasons and stuff like that. So I couldn't like get a screen grab and zoom in on it. I mean, I'm sure somebody has, you know, somewhere or whatever, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it just looks really snowcast, like the shape of the head and everything. And you can't see it super well, like you're saying. I mean, that's true. But I think you can see it enough to to see that it's really pretty Snoke-esque. And it's all deformed. Like, there's like a big bulge coming out of like one side of its body and stuff. So it's like, it's not exactly Snoke, right? But I think the shape of the head. And then there's even like a a very Snoke-esque like sort of scar or like crevice in the skull, you know? that And that was the, that was the thing where I looked at it and I was like, okay, this is for sure a thousand percent um, a intentional you know, um, similarity in design to Snoke. Like they want you to make that Snoke connection. You know what I mean? So yeah, I don't think like when you, when you see the Snoke and the vat in the rise of Skywalker, like that straight up is a Snoke. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's no, no ambiguity. Um, this is like not quite that much, but I, I am convinced after looking at it that not only is it, um, like the same thing as Snoke, but that they want, they, they designed it in a way and, and created it in a way that they wanted you to make that connection. So that, that's my, my feeling on it. Yeah. But it so is, like a, it is a little a hard to see in, a Snoke in progress. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. of the same, of the same strand, if you will, as, yeah. as Snoke. Yeah. So that, that's definitely my takeaway there. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> it's so, happening. Yeah. And I, and I think it's fun, you know, and I, I think it's fun. And um, again, like I don't want to, you know, keep making the same point over and over. So I'll, I'll just try to make it quickly, but, um, I love this episode because, and I said this at the top of the show, but like this episode really scratched both itches for me of being like, or like, you know, ticked both boxes or whatever you want to say, whatever awkward metaphor, but like, um, it really felt like what I want the Mandalorian to be, which is like an episode about, you know, the Mandalorian and the characters that are new to the show and about the child and like all that stuff. And it felt like, real tropey, like you said, you know, just very Mandalorian. And yet it still has this ambition and, you know, makes these connections and expands the world of Star Wars in general. And uh, so I thought that was great, you know, and uh, I think I said this in our text thread, you know, yesterday or whatever, but I I know that not every episode is going to be like that. And some episodes are going to be more, you know, focused on things from outside of the show. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's fine, but I'm I'm happy that it seems like there will be a balance between those kinds of episodes, you know, because um, it's going to get bigger, like you said, and, and I'm excited that it's getting bigger in, in different ways, but mm-hmm. I, I still want it to retain its own identity too, you know, yeah. and this episode gives me uh, a good feeling about that, that it feels like it will retain that identity and then simultaneously also be able to really become a bigger story and connect to other things. Yeah. And I'm like, at this point, like I'm, I'm really sold on the, the connections and the parts of the larger mythology that they're, um, you know, going towards, Mm -hmm. um, with the show. I wasn't always sold on all parts of it. Um, you know, but now I'm, I'm feeling pretty into it. I just, I like, they have, (laughs) they just, they have enough stories happening right now, enough big connected stories i i kind of just don't want any more because <laughs> like this is a you know this is about as as big as you can get like you have you know you have the mandalorian stuff you have boba fett stuff you have clone strand stuff you have um the the birth of the um 
you know, first order and the final order. And then you also have the, you know, the child and the Jedi. Like, this is like the biggest stuff in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hope they just like, they really just flesh out these stories that they're telling, which, you know, everything, pretty much everything so far has served these stories. Um, there's still like some dangling threads from, uh, from season one, like around Fennec and, um, a, a few other things, um, that hopefully play into, you know, these, these larger stories. Um, but I, I, I hope it doesn't get to the point where like, they just keep introducing things and not following through on them. Yeah. Um, cause I think the things they've introduced now feel natural and feel like a coherent vision. Um, so I, yeah, I hope they just really like flesh out the stories they're telling now before introducing any like major, you know, twists or um additional stories. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um okay. Well, you know, uh as far as the plot goes, Ryan, from here, uh they have a great action sequence with a speeder bike chase and uh you know, a pretty hard, you know, uh, uh, how would you put it? Like not totally believable, uh, um, transport flying off of a cliff, landing on a land speeder and not blowing up kind of like moment. Um, but it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. But like when they did that, I was like, okay, you talk about cutting, like they cut from a shot of it, like being like nose down going off of the cliff to then like cut to a shot of it landing. And it's like totally horizontal. And I'm like, wait, how did that happen? You know? So, um, that, that was a fun moment, but it was a little, that, that was pretty ridiculous. I thought, um, certainly defied belief that that transport was going to like fly off of that cliff and then land that way. Um, in my opinion, but that's a little nitpick and doesn't really matter. But, uh, yeah, just you know, so, maybe it just, maybe it had some tuck in it that levels it out. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's off screen. Yeah. Like the, the, the things have like hover capabilities and stuff in star Wars. Like, yeah, you know, you, you you know they can they maybe they self-correct well in yeah. the air yeah it could be although let me let me i guess i would put it this way i've been praising d- directorial decisions and editing and you know all that stuff like all episode this uh-huh. is one moment where i was like ooh, man that that sequence just didn't come together for me you know i mean yeah it did in a way that it was fun it just was it took me out of it a little bit both times feeling like that wouldn't land that way you know what i mean so yeah um, i didn't know that when i was watching the first time i'll keep an eye out on the, gotcha. the next next watch yeah. it, w- it was really cool seeing those speeder bikes jump off that cliff though that was awesome and i liked that like one or two of them crashed too as they yeah. were like frantically chasing them through that canyon and uh yeah great sequence it was fun to have uh grief carga back there manning the gun you know um mm-hmm. very luke skywalker and a new hope or even uh you know finn and uh in the in the force awakens mm-hmm. um and the whole sequence actually reminded me uh, a fair amount of the uh, the sequence in, in Force Awakens where Finn and, and Rey are uh, escaping on Jakku. Um, I don't think it was like a super intentional, like, you know, homage or, or callback to that or anything, but uh, kind of fun in a similar way. And then, uh, of course, it you have the, like Star Wars. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. 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 And you have the run in too, where, where uh, the Razor Crest comes in and you know, very Han Solo Millennium Falcon blows those ships mm-hmm. out of the sky, which was fun. And yep. uh, 
Yeah, great sequence. Which also, okay, one thing that was kind of weird to me was like they, the idea that all they had to do was get to the village, right? And like we're almost there. Yeah, <laughs> and then it's like, and then like the you know the stormtroopers would be like, oh, they got away this time. Let's go right. back. We have four. <laughs> we have four Tie Fighters like flying above you, um, which are you know by all accounts very destructive and capable <laughs> fighters. But if you cross that line, that imaginary line where you're now in the town limits, like you'll be safe. That doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, for sure, I'm with you there. Yeah. Uh, although another great thing about this sequence is that when uh, the Mandalorian is is taking out those final two ties. He's like, hold on, buddy. And, you know, you, you get uh, multiple shots of Baby Yoda with a seatbelt on um, and <laughs> kind of like having fun cruising around. So, yeah. Um, so that was fun. Yeah, loved it. But uh, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, that kind of takes us to the scene on Navarro or in the town of Navarro, which we talked about with um, uh, Paul Sun Hyung Lee's character talking to... Um, Cara Dune and we covered that it was a great scene and then the final kind of sequence or, or scene in the, in the episode is um, you know the confirmation that uh, that Mimbanese dude put a tracking device on the Razor Crest and that Moff Gideon is uh, you know um, going to be after them and uh, so we kind of have a direction as far as how he's going to come back into this season. And we know that he's um, very much still fixated on, on getting the child. They need more of the child's blood, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that whole sequence was cool. Moff Gideon was pretty creepy there. Um, that, uh, that officer, that Imperial officer or whatever, who came in and gave him the news, mm-hmm. she seems like she could be like, she could become a character that, uh, you know, sometimes those, those officers feel very disposable or like you'll never see them again. Um, but I thought her, the way they, they, you know, shot that, um, and, and her performance made her feel like a, a step above the kind of standard disposable, uh, officer. So I wouldn't be surprised if she's back, um, as the show goes on. Yeah. I, I liked her immediately. Um, I was like interested in her immediately. She had like a very, um, Captain Kennedy, effect mm. where you're like yeah this this one's legit <laughs> like i want to know more about this one like <laughs> she was only in the uh, show for five bloody minutes but uh <laughs> but we could anticipate more from her maybe <laughs> a little kid yeah. little kennedy reference but yeah you know um for the true believers um yeah so so you know she was great and then obviously the big thing there is like moff gideon is looking at this these rows of what I assume to be some kind of new clone trooper type um, trooper. I don't know. What, what, what do you think about that? So my initial thought was um, death troopers um, who we saw in Rogue One, but the, like that also like, yeah, like why would they need to like make them again? Um, but then my thought was the Sith troopers from, uh, rise of skywalker which we never really got um you know kind of like what you know they're they're wearing red are they different from like the cardinal from the phasma book and resistance Mm -hmm. um 
but they're you know part of Palpatine's like super special army, um, the the final order, um, and maybe there's something special about them. But they didn't really show like in the Rise of Skywalker. Like they didn't; those troopers didn't really act any differently, right? Uh, no, not really. Mm-mm. No. So I'm wondering. Yeah, I think we assume that they are special in some way, I guess. But yeah, no, they didn't really necessarily seem like they had any special power or anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm wondering if like were those um you know were those Sith troopers or you know if these are indeed Sith troopers like were they just made to like bolster the numbers of um you know, the first order, the final order, or were the, like, they imbued with, um, you know, the, the strand cast yeah. <laughs> force power type thing, um, as well. Like, are they going to have some powers? Are they going to be like really dangerous or are they just going to be, you know, different colored cannon fodder? Yeah, I would guess these guys are like in limited supply and that um, they'll be wiped out, you know, by the end of the show. Um, Mm -hmm. Just my just my guess. But, um, you know, I think it's all linked to the child, Um, at least the way the the story was presented in this episode made um, Moff Gideon and all that stuff seem pretty linked to the child. I mean, I guess, you know, like Dr. Pershing says, hey, it didn't work and they rejected the blood and all that. So then it's like, okay, well, then how do we have a a crew of these guys that are cloned or whatever. So maybe, maybe they're not, you know, but it just, I don't know. It felt like it, it was all connected in some way. And, and the way they revealed them like that just made it seem like, I mean, if it was just like, Oh, well, we got some more stormtroopers, but we put like a different cool armor on them or whatever. It would be like, well, what's, what's the deal with the big reveal at the end, you know? So mm-hmm. I feel like it's connected in some way. Then another thought I had is like, um, cause there's so much stuff in the show that seems to be pulled from like, the uh the west end game source books or you know like the video games from the 80s and 90s or you know some like is this some kind of you know something they're plucking from legends or from you know one of those other expanded universe type things that i just didn't make the connection to or that i don't i'm not familiar with you know what i mean so it could be something like that too i don't know um that's that's why you get we got to watch the star wars explained there you go yeah i'm sure yeah alex (laughs) Alex knows right 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 but it's intriguing no matter what and uh yeah yeah i'm excited about it so i feel like gideon will be um that much more formidable this season he's got the dark saber uh, which i guess he had before too but he's got the dark saber and now he's going to have these uh these troopers as well so it should be pretty um pretty intimidating yeah, and I just, I love, again, just how, like, the big stories of the show are all connecting. And, like, it seems like, you know, Moff Gideon is kind of, like, at the center of it. Because he has, like, the Darksaber for, like, the Mandalore stuff. He ha- He's doing, like, the Strand cloning, the Strand cast over here, um, you know, connecting to the the bigger story around like the force and the first order and the empire and all that. And like, he's just, he's just kind of got it all um, as um, you know, as an antagonist. Cause I, I mean, I think like one of the, you know, kind of things we were feeling at the end of season one is like, yeah, I mean, Muff, Muff Gideon looked cool uh, <laughs> in the show. He, like great Cape dark saber is a nice accessory, but like what, what's really his deal? Like 
why you know what's his you know what are his motivations like why should we care why should we be scared of him um and now i think we're kind of like getting that like he is kind of like the center piece villain of the show like he and he really feels like that like he has exactly the motivations to go against everything the mando and the mando's friends are doing so that's uh you know that this episode really kind of solidified that um, for me i think yeah 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 right on um yeah things are moving in an exciting direction as far as the uh the rest of the season goes and i think we're we're halfway through now right so um i would expect things to keep accelerating at this point um and um i feel like this which, episode which is wild because like this like there's been like three episodes in this season already that felt like they could have been season finales yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the first and third episodes for sure, and then this episode feels pretty important. Um, it does at the same time Maybe though feel like an ultimate episode. Yeah, but I was gonna say, I mean, this one feels big and epic, and and, and obviously, you know, massive implications and all that stuff, and lots and lots of action. But it does also like after the introduction of Bo-Katan and and that whole element last episode, and it ending last episode with being like, go find Ahsoka. It it did also feel a little bit like a detour as well. You know what I mean? Like for the Mandalorian, because it was like, well, you know, I have this place I've got to get to, but my ship's broken. So I guess I'll have to stop and do this like, you know, mission that at least to him initially and to us initially didn't feel like it had that much to do with, you know, the larger thing, the larger story. Um, but obviously this this clone business and Moff Gideon and everything does connect it to that larger story. But um it, I, I, I mean, I, I definitely felt, feel like, you know, it does have that side mission feeling at least a little bit, you know, because it's like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, you know, the last episode ended and I was like, let's get to Ahsoka. You know what I mean? Like, I'm excited to see mm-hmm. Ahsoka on screen. And it definitely was like, hold on, we're going to pump the brakes on that and slow down for a second. Not really slow down because it was still fast as, as hell, but uh, or action heavy and all that. But um, mm-hmm. it did kind of veer away from forward momentum for the larger plot i guess yeah but i but i think this is all i mean this is all part of the larger plot oh of course so it was like yeah i mean it wasn't like a nick stop ahsoka um kind of thing but it was like this it's fleshing out that story that's this stuff is going to have an impact by the time mando gets to ahsoka no yeah no question that it's super important but i think you could there's no reason that this episode couldn't have happened before he met Bo-Katan. You know what I mean? Cause it doesn't like it totally like, as far as like how things are going, like from point A to point B to point C to point, you know, like this could have been the second episode of the season or the third or whatever. Um, it just, you know, you take away the fact that like, well, my ship's in trouble. And so I'm landing on Navarro, which his ship's been in trouble every episode of the season. Anyway. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. no, there's nothing about this that, that couldn't have happened before and i'm i don't need it to i'm not saying that that that's what they should have done or anything like that but just from like going like oh i met bo katan she told me where ahsoka is now i go back to navarro yes it tells us interesting things about the galaxy it is important to the larger story it's necessary and valuable component of this season but it doesn't have to be in between meet bo katan go to Ahsoka. I think they did that on purpose because it's like building the anticipation of getting there and that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Um, like intentionally 
holding off getting to that reveal instead of having it be like, we told you you're going to see her and then you see her right away. I think they want to put a roadblock in between. And this episode did that. Yeah. Yeah. So totally. while still being super important and, and giving us, you know, stuff that we need to have. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you know, that's, that's also just like storytelling. Like yeah. you, you know, if they, you know, if, uh, if Ray found Luke Skywalker at the beginning of Force Awakens, like, you know, there goes like, you know, part of the story. Um, like you, ha- you have to, you have to like order things in a certain way and you have to have like obstacles and challenges. Like it would, it would have been weird if we just saw Ahsoka this episode, I think. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. But I mean, he could have got, well, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I could see him getting to that planet and then like having like challenges to overcome to get to her or, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm totally, I like what they're doing here. I have no qualms about it, no problem with it. But um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a show that like, it, it has always felt like they, I mean, I think from episode one to three this season two in the middle which is like maybe my still my favorite episode of the of the whole season definitely felt like we're going to take a break from really progressing the larger plot to do you know um to fill in other things like character development and stuff like that you know like and like you said that's like what storytelling is but i don't know sometimes these episodic episodic shows like i think a lot of times especially like the ones on like netflix and stuff like that you know or even like a show like breaking bad like it usually feels like you always feel like it's kind of pulling you forward all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And this show is, it might be challenging to audiences. I don't know. I mean, I like it, but you do see people complaining about certain episodes of the show um, because I think it intentionally doesn't do that all the time. Like I think they very intentionally choose not to have every episode pull you forward all the time, Um, Mm -hmm. which in a lot of ways, the show is pretty, like mainstream and you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Um, it seems like a lot of ways in in terms of the storytelling and the way the show is structured and stuff, they, they're not necessarily trying to, um, you know, break the mold or whatever, but I think in that way it is, yeah, challenging. I don't know. Not what defies expectations a little bit because, um, yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of episodic television, a lot of streamable television, whatever, you know, it always pulls you forward in the plot and then, you know, still does the character development and still does like all, all the stuff that these episodes are doing, but you know, you can structure it in a way that it does both. And I think they're intentionally choosing to stop and start with the plot, you know, um, which works for me, but I I think is an interesting choice, I guess is all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, just like kind of related aside, Mm -hmm. um, the, the biggest complaint I hear from people who, you know, watch the show, but are just like TV fans and not necessarily like hardcore Star Wars people who podcast about everything that comes out like us is that um, it's it's not all up at once and you can't just binge it. Oh, yeah. Do, do you have you heard that complaint link complaint anecdotally? Um, yeah, I have. Yep. A little bit. OK. Yeah. Yeah, I just like just people I know, some people I've heard like be like, oh, I'll just watch it when it's all up. I hate watching stuff weekly. Mm. And uh, and I kind of get that in a way, because like I I'm pretty bad about like when shows are like on TV weekly, like even with like Game of Thrones, like I'd 
you know, fall behind for like weeks at a time and then have to like watch a ton to catch up and, um, you know, stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, I think a lot people are like super conditioned to like, you know, a new show comes out and you just like sit in the dark for 12 hours and just like watch all of it. Um, and like this show like really does break that. And I think it's, you know, as far as like episodic TV goes like week to week, like it's probably the most successful example of that since probably Game of Thrones oh, yeah. where people are just like, this is the show people talk about kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and people are sticking with it. Um, cause you know, I see a lot of like stuff, episodic stuff where it starts off like strong with a ton of interest. And then that interest kind of like wanes week over week. Um, not really with this show, but I still do see people kind of complaining that it's not just all there at once. Um, which I think would maybe be good for, you know, some people, more casual fans. I think it would like literally melt our brains. Yeah. If we had to like, sit down and watch all of this in like, you know, on a Friday. Yeah. <laughs> like we are, our, our Star Wars fans brains are not equipped for that. Mm-hmm. Like we, we get, you know, a two hour movie and we're like broken for days. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah, because it's Star Wars, I'm I'm thrilled that it's week by week because I just want to savor it and enjoy it. Um, mm-hmm. And there's so much to break down and discuss and think about. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't want it to uh, to drop all at once. But that being said, like I can see where people are coming from because like when Stranger Things comes out, like I love like we go through the whole season in two days and like you know it's like five hours a day of watching Stranger Things and like you know I just like I it's so much fun. Like and when one episode ends, you know we always have this thing where we're watching it and it's like uh yeah we only plan on watching three tonight you know but then that the third one ends and you're like well i have to watch it. like you know what i mean like that's a really mm-hmm. fun exciting feeling when it's like i can't not watch the next one now you know what i mean like so um that's that's super fun but uh but yeah i'm I'm definitely glad that that's not what they're doing here uh we, we got to wrap up because we're over the two hour mark and you know i'm always okay. like okay that's this is insane like 38 yeah. minute tv show and we talked about it for two hours so we got to wrap up but um i'll just say this ryan uh I'm really excited for next week's episode. And if the Wikipedia like title for next week's episode is to be trusted, then I'm like freaking out about next week's episode. So I cannot wait. Um, it'll be the day after Thanksgiving. So many of us in America will be off of work and able to just wake up and watch the Mandalorian. And it's going to be super great. So I'm so excited. What is the title of the episode? I don't think I should say it. I I should say it on the show in case. Um, Okay. There's probably plenty of people that wouldn't want to know that uh, a week ahead of time. But I'll tell you when we're done recording. Great. And we do know the director of it. Is that is Uh, that a spoiler to say the director? (laughs) Maybe we'll just we'll talk about it off. Yeah. (laughs) I I think some people like don't maybe don't want to know. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Okay. Well, um, thanks. If you're still here, thank you for, uh, for, for going on this journey with us for the last two hours talking about this episode of The Mandalorian. Um, we will be back next weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, to talk about the next chapter, which, uh, like I just said, I'm so excited for. So until then, you can find everything we do at blockaderunnerpodcast.com. If uh, you want to give us any feedback or share your thoughts on The Mandalorian, you can email us at blockaderunnerpodcast at gmail.com. Um, we have a show Twitter account that I run, which is 
at blockade run ryan's not on really on twitter right now so i guess we'll no. leave it there yeah um, so that's cool but uh yeah thanks again for listening and um we will be back next week to talk about the next chapter of the Mandalorian.